book of Judges, actually. I'm going to start off with the book of Judges in chapter 6. And if you guys would stand with me for the reading of the word, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go back and give you some context with this as well. And so, Judges chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Father, thank you so much for this day and for your presence in our lives, Lord, for just being here and being uh, present, and not only being present, but being honored in this place, Lord, for receiving our praises. I pray that you would anoint the word tonight. Let it not fall on deaf ears, but let it be seed planted that will grow into harvest. Lord, let me speak only truth and life into these people, and let me only speak the will that you have me to speak. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the word. So this is the story of Gideon. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Gideon. If not, that's okay. He was one of the judges of Israel. The book of Judges uh, usually starts off each chapter with, Then the children of Israel did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of so-and-so. Uh, it, it just It's a repeating cycle in the Israelites' life. What happens is Israel goes into sin. They start worshiping idols. God sends somebody be it a prophet. They call them judges here in the book of Judges. Samson was a judge. There was uh, a lot of different judges. Gideon is a judge. And what happens is during this time, these people, something happens. Israel comes back to God. And then this person leaves the scene and Israel falls back into the cycle. And so I'm going to preach from this, the story of Gideon. Going back to verse 11, I'm going to read up to through 14, but you don't have to follow along. I'll just uh, tell you a little bit more. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. I think I'm saying these right. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles? which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And then we're back to verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I like how it reads in the New Living Translation as well, and it's a little bit easier to follow at times, but it says... Let's see here. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So what the Lord is telling Gideon at this point is three very important things. Three important things. I'm going to go through them. The first is, go with the strength you have. Go with this might of yours. So God is not saying... Wait here, and I will make you strong in this area. God's not saying, I'm going to prepare you, and so you need to just sit in this waiting pattern. Sometimes God puts us in a waiting pattern, but in this case, God's not doing that. God's saying, go with what you have and start the work. God's not saying, you know, I'm going to make you stronger so you can handle this. God's saying, go now, and I will take care of it. He's saying, go now with the strength that you have. 
Secondly, God says, and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Now, earlier, we find Gideon in the wine press uh, threshing his wheat. Wheat is not normally threshed in the wine press, and it's done there to hide it from the Midianites. The Midianites, these armies from the east, were oppressing Israel, and they were causing a famine because they would come in and take all of the food, and then they'd leave, and they would raid these Israelites. And so what he's doing is he's hiding it. He's, he's relatively clever and somewhat cowardly. He's hiding it in his wine press so that they can't see it. And so when we find Gideon, he's hiding, and he's just trying to make enough food to survive. But in the second part of this verse, it says, rescue Israel from the Midianites. This is something of a higher caliber than making food. This is not dealing with the symptom. This is dealing with the problem. This is God calling you to greater things than what you can think. God didn't say, all right, Gideon, I need you to get some of your friends and then go and feed them for a week. God didn't say, I need you to just help a few people. God said, no, I need you to rescue the entire nation from the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were fearsome and were oppressing the entire nation. Later on, we can look, and Gideon uh, goes down to this. Let me see here. Gideon talks about how he is the lowest man in his clan, and his clan is one of the lower clans. So Gideon is literally saying, God, I'm the lowest of the low. I don't have any authority among my brothers and sisters, among my people. I don't have any power, God. How am I going to do this? How are you coming to me? But look at where the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is what God does to us. He doesn't say, Listen, scum of the earth. He doesn't say, Listen, wicked and deceitful person doesn't say, listen, you cowardly man hiding down here. He says, listen, mighty man of valor. God calls you by what you are in his eyes, not what you are in the eyes of your enemies or of your friends. God calls you by who you are. And he, God, outside of time, sees what Gideon is. And he says, mighty man of valor, God is with you. First thing he says. So listen, so many times in your ministry, in your life, as you're going about and you're helping other people, People are going to call you by what they think you are. But never confuse what they think you are with what God calls you. Because if God calls you to something, that is your identity. And God has called us as Christians to take on the identity of Christ. So know that God is with us, and he is for us. I'm going to come back to that. Mark that down. Third part of this, I'm, I'm working pretty fast through this. So the first part was, go with the strength you have. Second part, rescue all of Israel. What is the third part? The third part is what ties it all together. The third part is the glue. He says, for I am sending you. Now, if you take what strength you have, and you go and you try and save all of California, it does not matter if God's not sending you there. Because it's not saying, God's not saying, I will back you up no matter what. God's saying, Listen to my calling. Where am I sending you? If I am sending you there, then go with what strength you have and do this great and marvelous thing in my name. He's not saying, do whatever you want anywhere and I'll be with you. He's saying, I am sending you. I have a specific purpose and a calling for you. And so in what strength you have, go and do something great. So God is calling us. He is sending us, but he's sending us in a direction. I love the analogy that's uh, been given to me 
about parenting. Children are like arrows. And in the Bible, it talks about having many arrows in a quiver. And so it's like being a warrior with many, ch- a person with many children is like a warrior with many arrows. What happens when you have an arrow is you pull back the bow and you aim it and then you release. And what happens with children is you raise them up in the right way and you direct them toward the goal and then you release them. In the same way, God tells you, you have to be pointed toward this goal. I'm going to be the strength. Because the strength is not in the arrow. The arrow can't fly by itself. It is the bow that propels it. In the same way, the Lord aims us and propels us. And so where he's sending you, it's no good if your target's over there and you pull back and shoot this way. It doesn't even matter if you have a gun. You know, you can shoot that way. Bullets don't turn around like that. And so the Lord directs you and keeps you. We're going to read some more about Gideon. Now, Gideon was kind of a reluctant hero. I already talked about how he was kind of cowardly in the beginning. And you may have thought that's a little bit harsh. So I'll keep reading a little bit more about this. Uh, But before I do, verse 22 of chapter 6, it says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So connecting it to pastor's message this morning, Gideon, when he recognized that it was God, that this was him speaking to him, he reverenced and feared the Lord. He thought, oh, I'm going to die. I've been questioning God. I've been uh, doing this. But God says, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. You won't die. And so He's, he's reassuring him, but that just ties it into pastor's message a little bit today. So he was a man who knew God and respected him. And not many of the Israelites at this time were doing that. In fact, Israel was living in sin. So he stands out. Going on to chapter 7. So uh, actually, before that, I will get back to my notes here. So God has called Gideon, and he's given him this verse 14. What does Gideon have to do next? In chapter 6, Gideon has to destroy the altar of Baal. So in his town, there was an idol set up to Baal and an idol to uh, Asherah, I believe, and they had Asherah poles. And these two idols, uh, Baal was one where they sacrificed children to him, and I will, uh, I'll just quickly go through this, and Asherah was a god of sexual perversion, in a sense. And so what he did is he cut down this wooden Asherah pole, he tore down that altar, he broke the pole in half, used it, and he made an altar to God, and he sacrificed the, his, from his father's house, a bull, and made an offering to God. And so before he even does anything else, he tears down the idols in his life. Too many times we hear the call of God. God is pushing us. He is saying he is for us. And before we even think about it, we're j- jumping along down the path, but we take our idols with us. We have these things set up to other gods in our life, not necessarily Baal or Ashtoreth, but to other things in our life, whether it be addictions or attractions, whether it be those things that you can't help thinking about or can't stop thinking about, those things that matter more to you than what God does. That can be anything. That can be good things. That can be a marriage. A marriage can be an idol if it's above God. That can be your children. Children can be your idol if it is above God. But God has called us to love our spouses and our children. They are very important. God has a lot to say about them. 
But if anything comes above God, it's an idol. And so before we even get into the great and mighty parts that Gideon does, we've got to take care of the idols. Now, to reinforce his cowardliness, he does this all at night because he's afraid somebody's going to catch him. But he does it nonetheless. So he is obedient to the Lord. Chapter 7, going through this, um, it says, now verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, after he had gathered up this army to get rid of the Midianites, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So what God's saying is, I don't like the odds. They're too good for you guys. This is going to look like you're going to get the credit for it. And so what had happened is this, this army assembled and it says, Now, therefore, in verse 3, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from, the Mount, uh, from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So that means they had an army of 32,000 and 22,000 left. That's more than two-thirds of your army. You think Gideon's a little bit more afraid now? He's a little bit more cowardly? Because God says, you know what? This is going to be too easy. I'm going to take away what you have, most of it. Maybe you're a pastor and your congregation has fallen down. You think you're going to affect this city. And then God says, I'm going to take some of this away, lest you choose this to be your own credit, to be something you did. I want to get the credit for this. And so what God does is he reduces the number. But it's not good enough. You read more and he says, there are still too many. You'll still take the credit and I won't get the glory. God is a jealous God and he wants the glory. And so what happens is he's like, look, I'm going to give you a test. They go down to the river and they say, everybody who gets down on their knees and laps it up like a dog, as opposed to the people who cup it in their hands and bring it up to their mouth, separate the two groups. So you got one group over here that does the, just gets down on their hands and knees and they drink it from the river like this. And you've got the other group who is standing, who gets it, and they do this. Now, when they do this, I'm going to put my microphone down. They have their hand on their sword, and they have their cupped water. But the other soldiers are down, and they don't have their hand on their sword. They're completely defenseless. They're not looking around. Enemies could strike at any moment, and they just, you know, sometimes, sometimes we get into this habit of just being comfortable in situations. What happened is these soldiers got comfortable in the situation. And God said, not those guys. Get the guys who are ready. The guys who are standing guard, who are in action, in a position that can move. In the same way with our spiritual life, we have to be in a position that can move, in a position to receive what God has and to act upon it. Not in a comfortable position where we're not intaking anything, but what feels good at the moment. And so what happened is this 10,000 army, 10,000 strong, goes down to 300 men. 300 men. Let me put this into perspective for you. There is a very famous uh, account in history of 300 Spartans. So Spartans were warriors. They were trained from basically birth. And they are, there's a movie called 300. I don't recommend it. I think there's some bad stuff in it. I haven't seen it myself. But it's made a lot of money. It's a big thing. 300 Spartans are known to have defended this pass for a time against the Persians. Now, in Greece, there was this Persian army coming down, and there was a small pass. And so what happened is it's the most defensible place, so tactically the best thing to do is put your best soldiers there and buy time. So all they're doing is buying time, 
And what happened is with the Greeks, 300 Spartans fought and died, along with 700 Thespians, a a total of 1,400 Greeks allies in total, so about 1,400, and they defend the pass for a while. It buys the the city's time to prepare their defenses. About 20,000 Persians die. That's pretty impressive, 1,400 to 20,000. That's a pretty good ratio. That's almost 10 times, and so that's a pretty good ratio. Uh, you got 2,000 to 20,000, essentially. Gideon has 300 men, so relatively similar to the Spartans. He's facing an army of 135,000. I want you to look at this. 300 to 135,000. Essentially, the odds are really bad. And so Gideon's looking at this, and he's like, God, how is this going to work? I can only imagine what he's thinking right before this battle. It's like, again, God, even less? What do you how are you gonna do this? And so what God does is he sends Gideon, he's like, Look, go down to the enemy's camp at night, and I'm gonna give you a sign. And if you're really afraid, take your servant. So what does Gideon do? He takes his servant. He's really afraid. Uh, (laughs) so he goes down there. It's even a sign of fear. He's like saying, God, I'm still afraid. He takes his servant down with him, and they listen, and he hears about this dream and an interpretation, and this dream is a loaf of barley. One of the soldiers telling the other, he's like, oh man, there's, there's this loaf of barley. And it's, it's on this hill and it comes down. And it comes to this tent and it strikes the tent. And it topples it over. And so this other soldier says, surely this means that Gideon has God on his side. I'm paraphrasing, uh, going quickly. But surely this means Gideon has God on his side. And Gideon hears this and he's like, hmm, I am that loaf of barley. You know, it wasn't, uh, I, I heard a message from a great preacher that I've heard once is uh, Ken Graves, and he's saying it wasn't a hand grenade that, they, it was, that was tumbling in. It wasn't some great stone. It was a loaf of bread. It was a cupcake, you know, that came into this camp. And he's, he's like, if God, if you are having bad dreams about food taking your army down, either God's messing with your head or you had a really bad lunch. So... Looking at that, Gideon then worships God. He knows God is on his side. And so he is reinvigorated. He goes up, and what happens is Gideon gives each of these men a trumpet, and he gives them this, this pitcher with a torch in it. And so what happens is he goes up, and they, they go up on this ridge, and they go out and they blow this trumpet all at once. Ta-da! And then they take their pitchers, and they smash them on the ground, and fire roars up. And so what happens is, this is at the changing of the guard, the middle of the night. And so the middle of the night, these guys look up, and they see these flames come up all around them. And they hear these trumpets, these warriors' trumpets, these war horns come. And they think, oh no, what's going on? They're really tired, and they're like, what's going on? And they yell, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And what happens is the Midianite army starts turning on itself. It thinks they've been infiltrated, and so they start killing each other. And what happens is, in one swift move, the majority of the army is dead by its own hand. Gideon has done nothing but what the Lord told him. He didn't even have to get his hands dirty at this point. This is not the end. But God gives them victory and receives the glory from it. What happens, though, is that a remnant of the enemy remains. Speaking of remnants, Gideon's army is something of a remnant. There were 32,000 strong, still bad odds, 32 versus 135. But 
There's a remnant even from that. In the same way, we're a remnant church nowadays. And we have to stand firm and trust God because God has a plan and he can do what he says he's going to do. And so they come down, they chase the enemy. As they're chasing the enemy, they call for help from some people. They get help from some and they, they close off water sources. But they're chasing another. They're chasing the kings of the Midianites. And they get to this town and he says, look, our, armor, our army is tired. Can you give us some bread? And they're like, huh, we'll give you bread when you catch the enemy kings. Are you hearing this? He came down to these two towns, and he said, give us some bread. We're tired. We've been chasing these, these enemy kings. And he's got still 15,000 with him, 300 versus 15,000. They're still chasing him. And the towns are like, we'll feed you when you come back, if you actually do it. Are you hearing this, people? God called you to something. You did it. It was amazing. And people are still negative toward you. People are still downing your ministry, even when it's been so successful. People are still opposing you. People of Israel, people who are Christians, are still going to fight you on what God's doing in your life. Even when he has done so much for your life, they are going to fight you at every step. So what happens is they catch him anyway. He comes back, and he punishes those people who wouldn't help them. But there were Christians, there were Israelites, who wouldn't help fellow Israelites after they had slain 120,000 enemy troops, 300 men versus 120,000. And they're like doubting that he can get the last 15,000 with the kings. And he does it still. I mean, how good is God that he does this? But how bad are people that they doubt him after he has done so much for them? So what happens is they finish the work and God gets the glory. Gideon, they come up to him and they're like, Gideon, you will be our king and your sons and your grandsons will be our king. And Gideon says, no, God will be our king. If you're wondering why God chose Gideon, this is it. It wasn't because he was strong or brave or fierce in battle. It wasn't because he was entirely equipped because he had no authority. He had no strength. He had no power. He had no will to do this. He was scared the whole time. But after he did it, he gave God the glory. Paul says in his writings, I boast in my weakness. He does this because God works best in our weakness. And so many times we think God is going to just work through our strengths when God is actually calling us to work through our weaknesses so he can get the glory. So Gideon, at this point, his strength, the reason God called him to this is because he knew that God deserved the glory and he gave it to him. He is still rewarded for what he's done, but God got the glory from it. And so looking at this, I hate to do this, but there's more to it. It's not a happy ending. There's a time of peace in Israel. The Midianites are gone. It's the golden age. But what happens is there is an afad that's made. It's like a priestly garment, I believe. And Gideon and his family fall prey to it. They start worshiping it. And Gideon and all his people are forgotten, all his family. And Israel goes back into sin. It's a sad ending for such an amazing story where the odds were so stacked against them. Sometimes it's not all about us. God will do amazing things in our lives, in the lives of those around us, but so many times we'll be discouraged when it comes and it goes. And we think, God, why did you let that go? We, we were in such a good position. How can we go from there back to where we started so quickly? But God had a different plan. 
Because the book of Judges is all about the people of Israel going back and forth. And so we can look even in our lives. So many times we struggle with sin. God does this amazing thing for us. He gives us victory. We're on the mountaintop. And then a week later, we're back in the valley. And we're like, God, why? In the beginning, Gideon says, what about these miracles our fathers told us about? God, why have you forsaken us? But the thing is, God never forsakes them because he keeps sending judges. And the people keep getting redeemed. And ultimately, it's just a patch job because God eventually sends his son. And his son does the ultimate work that we might be cleansed from his sins. But even now in our lives, there are going to be ups and downs. We're going to do great things for God if we allow him to do so. If we recognize the calling he has for us, and we go back to the beginning where it talks about it, he says, go with the might of yours, the strength you have. Save all of Israel. Have I not sent you? We will do that. We'll understand that God has sent us. We'll go with what we have. God will provide and we'll do amazing things. But they will come and go. But ultimately, our faith is not in these things, but in God, the provider. Because God has made a way for us to be saved now. And God is making mansions for each and every one of us in heaven. And ultimately, revelation will come, will pass, and will be in eternity before you know it. There is a good ending to the book. This is just a chapter of the book that God has. Each of our lives are a page in a chapter. They're not a book in itself. So recognize that it's not all about you, but that God is doing something good in you so that some might be saved and that ultimately we can come back to where he has intended for us to be from the beginning, in the garden, with him, in good relationship. Praise the Lord. That's what I have tonight. I thank the Lord for it. It's a good message, I believe. It's got some good words in it. I encourage you to go back, read about Gideon. There's a lot that I couldn't cover. Gideon, there's a lot that I, you know, I couldn't get into the details. There's a lot about it. God still uses Gideons today, though. If you want God to do something in your life, if you're ready, I want you to just stand to your feet today. Everybody stand to your feet and just raise your hands and pray to God tonight because God is ready to do something in our lives.